Amen. I'm glad he's got his song back. It's been a rough couple of years, including losing a leg. And uh, I've always loved to hear Brother Mike sing, and that was a blessing tonight. Praise the Lord. We are on the winning side. Okay, where am I going to end up tonight? Well, where am I going to start? This is, everything was preached this week, just about. But that's never gotten in the way. However, I, had, I have a message up here. I may preach two messages tonight because I feel led to go to another passage of Scripture to start out. And I don't expect it to be very long. And I want it to be worth coming to church tonight. So if it's not very long, I'll just go right into the other message so that you at least get your money's worth for those of you who did put money in the offering plate, Okay. But I want you to turn to start out to 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, I had no intention of bringing this tonight, but as we were singing, I just felt impressed. And you can decide whether or not I was impressed of the Lord or just going nuts. But 2 Kings chapter 6. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan... They cut down wood, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. Now, that's the end of the story, but it's not the end of the result. I want you to notice a few things from this. I want you to get this point. Every one of you young Christians, you teenage Christians that think you want something a little looser, you want something a little more fun, which is always amazing to me because when I see the different youth activities, it looks like people are having a lot of fun. This matter of going to these liberal churches, churches that have compromised, and gone away from the things of God and the Word of God so that everybody can be happier, haven't helped anybody. They've only taken you away from what God has given in His Word. You've heard me say often, when it comes to compromise... By the way, before I go on with that, I was just thinking, my my nose was itching. And uh, it just kind of reminded me about Brother Kendrick. Uh, Maybe I missed it. But it seemed to me that the same handkerchief where he blew his nose, he wiped his face with over and over again. Did anybody else notice that? Am I the only one? How many did notice it? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. All right. Bless his heart. That makes me wonder if his wife kissed him after each message. 
I never thought, I was going to ask her, I was going to ask her when I took them out to eat on Friday. And I, it totally slipped my mind. All right, let me get back to where I was at. All right, that, that had nothing to do with oh, what I, what I want to share with you. Notice in verse 1, it says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. I looked at that one day, and I, I, I'm sorry, what are they saying here? I went to commentators, and most of the commentators that I saw, they said this. They said uh, it, it had gotten too small for them. There were so many of them, it had just gotten too small. They needed a bigger place in order for them to dwell, to live. That's not what it says. It doesn't say small. It says it's too straight for us. Now, for some of you older Christians, you'll remember back when going to camp was tough. You'll remember going to summer camp that, the, for instance, the dormitories, they weren't that easy to live in. I mean, it was roughing it. I remember the first time we went out to the Navajo Reservation. Matter of fact, first time, second time, third time that we went out to the Navajo Reservation, that uh, boy, the, the boy stayed in kind of a half adobe, half open uh, dormitory that really wasn't a dormitory, just an old barn building that was coming apart. As a matter of fact, I stayed, and uh, this was the pastor's quarters, and that was in uh, part adobe, part mobile home, small mobile, uh, mobile home, uh, that was cut off in half of it. it. Matter of fact, I'm laying there at night thinking, what bugs are going to get in on me? And about the middle of the night, I feel something furry rubbing on my leg. I'm... <laughs> Man, I jumped up and I picked it up. It was a little cat. I'm not going to tell you what I did, but it never bothered me the rest of the week. It was rough. As a matter of fact, both for the guys and the gals, now they stayed in different rooms. Uh, There was a dormitory for the gals that was a little nicer than the one for the guys. The guys was really roughing it. But where you had to get clean at, they didn't have a shower room. What you had to do was to go out to the irrigation ditch where the water had been coming down from the mountain. I mean, it was like ice cold. And that's where you got clean. People didn't get naked. They still had their clothes on, but it got them clean, got their clothes clean all at the same time. It was roughing it. And then we went out to the reservation to go out and knock on doors, and you had to drive a long way just to get to each place. And we slept under the stars at night, and I remember them telling us, now sometimes the snakes like to come out and get against a warm body if they get a chance. Well, I did like Saul in the Old Testament and got in the middle of the group. I wanted that snake to sleep against somebody else and not me. Yeah, I figured there were enough warm bodies to keep any of the snakes busy. I mean, it was roughing it. And may I say that back then, some of you older heads, you'll remember this. That was the allure of it. And then what happened a few years ago, starting in about the 1980s, 1990s, if the camps were going to make it, they had to have a nicer building. I'm going to tell you, there was no camp in America, independent Baptist camp in America, 
anywhere near as nice as camp to know him. I mean, you go out there, that's not really camping. That's just a little lower than Holiday Inn. That's really nice out there. But for those camps, part of the allure of it was that it was tough. It was hard. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to sleep. I mean, there were just a lot of things that were tough. And now they've gotten so easy, you wonder what's the special allure of the camps? I guess because maybe they think kids have gotten so soft, kids can't take any hardship at all. And so we'll just have a place where we can preach to them a lot, but we're not going to teach these young boys to be men and rough it a little bit. I got news for you. American men don't rough it unless they want to be on some you know, big sports team and know they know to make millions of dollars, they're going to have to rough it for a while so they can buy the gigantic mansions later on. We don't like it when it's tough. Truth is, you go back to our independent Baptist churches a few decades ago, and I mean, the preachers preached hot. Man, you need to listen to some messages by Lester Roloff. Need to hear how he preached against TV how he preached against the wrong kind of music, how he preached against the wrong dress, how he preached on having the right home. Man, you don't hardly hear anything like Roloff's messages in our Bible-believing churches today. We've gotten too easy. Man, we have been allured by Osteen, who says, I'm not going to judge anybody, that, you know, you can have your best life now, everything's fine, when it's not fine. The reason we're in the mess we're in is because we've gotten away from the Word of God. And the reality is churches, I'm sorry, young adults are leaving our independent Baptist churches. And you know who we want to blame? We want to blame the pastors for standing so hard. Listen, people stayed before with preachers standing so hard on things. Are we going to compromise just to keep people from going someplace else? If we become that someplace else, then where do those who want a church that stands by the book, where are they going to go? Yeah, I know. Hey, over the years, we've lost kids. We've lost young adults, especially because we won't compromise on things. We still stand where we've stood Matter of fact, it's funny. It's amazing how many have come back and say, boy, you know, one thing I know, I go to Madison Baptist and hear anybody that's preaching there, I know it's going to be like it was when I was a kid. And that's good. That's not bad. I have pastors that tell me the reason they want to support our missionaries is they believe because they know us, they believe our missionaries are going to stand for the right stuff. I'm sick to death of missionaries that won't take a stand. Well, now, notice in the story here, you have got the sons of the prophets. Now, this is a special group. We see them back in the time, for instance, of Samuel. And then after that, with a number of, uh, a number of the different kings, God would take one of the sons of the prophets. Some of them he does not even name. And he would send them in, like, for instance, the unnamed prophet that's called a man of God that God sent into Jeroboam, not Rehoboam, but into Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom. And he preached against the altar. 
and what that king was doing. And brother, his prophecy that God had given him, the curse on the altar, God fulfilled exactly like he said. God doesn't even give us his name. God used men like that because he could count on them to bring the message that God wanted brought. But now the sons of the prophets, they come to Elisha. He's the most well-known prophet at this particular time. Elijah's already passed off the scene. And they come to him and they say, This place, we dwell with thee, it's too straight for us. Prophets were known for things being straight. You look at Samuel. Man, Samuel. And these were sons of the prophets. These were not ones that were brought up among the heathen. These were not people who turned to God after they became adults. These are people that were brought up in it. They're the sons of the prophets. I'm reminded of our preacher that was with us this week. Why didn't he have all those things in his home? Because he didn't want the world to affect his children. He wanted to have a Bible home. They have unusual testimonies. Now, they are third-generation Christians. Not second-generation, third-generation. The reality, I'm a first-generation Christian. I didn't come from a Christian home. Didn't get saved till I was 22. Had nothing to do with God before salvation. And so, yeah, I, but you find, matter of fact, the preachers that were really something when I went to Tennessee Temple, you guys, were basically people who were first-generation Christians. And they came, and they weren't flaunting the rules all the time. They were shouting amen to what they were hearing. But not today. No, we want something easier. Oh, and, and the daughters of the prophets today, they want to wear their skirts a little shorter if they wear skirts at all. The, this place is too straight for us. We want some place that's not as straight. I was talking to one preacher about this particular passage. He says, no, Pastor, I, I really think that he's saying this place is too, too uh, uh, small for us. I said, but you know, I have a problem with that. They come to, they come to Elisha and he said, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan and take thence every man a beam and let us make a place there. In other words, they're not going to build a bigger place where they're at. That's not the thing. They want to go someplace where it's not as straight that they can build it themselves. This is the place where the prophets stayed when they were the sons of the prophets. We don't want to be there. It's too straight for us. We want to be someplace we can make. Now, one of the prophets says to him, come and go with us. Be content. Come and go with us. And Elisha says he'd go. Now, evidently, according to the story, it appears that Elisha didn't do the work. He's sitting there watching them. He's watching what they're doing. The axe head falls off. Now, Elisha does a tremendous miracle here to show the power of God. I want you to get this. This is the last time you see the sons of the prophets in the Scripture. They are not mentioned again. This is the last. How do you know that, preacher? I've looked. They're not mentioned again. And the next time you see Elisha, he's not beyond Jordan. He's in Dothan. 
He doesn't stay with these people. Now, what's sad to me are the number of older preachers. They're willing to go, not just go with them, but to change and be like them. When what they need is somebody to stand and say, no, we're following the old paths. Not the new paths. The call by God was always to return to the old paths. Even if those paths were 800 years old. That was all right. They were the old paths. They were the paths that God had given. And that's where we ought to stand. I'm going to go to my second message here in just a moment. But this has really gotten me. This place is too straight for us. This place where we do, it's too straight. We want something more freedom. I hope that some of you teenagers, I mean, you've got a good youth pastor who teaches you right. We take you to conference and stuff where they, where they preach right. And you've made some good decisions to stand right, but you get to be 17, 18, 16, and you start wanting some little boy or some little girl that doesn't have all your standards. And by the way, there's not many out there that have the same standards that we have here. I mean, even among independent Baptists. But they think, and they know this, that if they can get you to go with them, it won't be long, you'll be like them. So you have to be very, very careful who you end up hanging around. I believe that's why it's important you ought to pray about what school you go to if you're going to go to a Bible college. You better make sure because you take one that is full of a bunch of students that come from lukewarm independent Baptist churches and their kids, all they can do is complain about the rules they had back home at one time and try to talk you into being like them then it won't be long, you will be like them. That's just the way it works. Now, and you've heard me say this about the prodigal son. When the prodigal son got right, he knew where to go because his dad hadn't moved. Remember, it was because his dad was like he was that he didn't want that. He wanted freedom. He wanted to be able to do whatever he wanted to do. Give me my inheritance. I I don't want any rules with it. Give me my inheritance. Let me go ahead and spend it where I want to spend it. And he goes out and he does that. And when it all comes to ruin and he's realizing, hey, I had it so much better at home. He knew where to go. And I want you to notice this. His dad didn't go out after him. I mean, that's reality. If that's the way you want to go, you can go that way, young people. Young adults, that's the way you want to go. You can go that way. I just hope that whenever you get to the place where you realize that what you had here is so much better than a compromised church and a compromised message and a compromised mission, I just hope that you'll be able to say, hey, I can go back to Madison Baptist. I know I'll hear it there. They haven't changed. They're the same. Buddy, I just got, when I got saved, I fell in love with God, number one, fell in love with my Lord Jesus Christ, and I fell in love with his word. The reason I memorized as much of it as what I did, I love his word. I believe his word is true. The reason why I can't stand Calvinist doctrine is because I hate it that they changed the word of God 
Matter of fact, you take most of the Calvinists today, they don't use the King James Bible. They don't use that. They don't want a book that straight. Well, God only writes straight books. His word is truth from beginning to end, and he still wants us back at it. Now, having said all that, I want you to turn over to Judges chapter 6, 16. Judges chapter 16. This is the end of the story of Samson. Now, think with me for a moment. Samson, you'll remember, there was an angel that appeared to his mom and dad and told them that in a year's time, they were going to have a son. And that this son was going to be a Nazarite unto the Lord from birth. Two kinds of Nazarites. There were temporary Nazarites, people who would make a vow. Before they would make the vow, they would cut their hair. And then during the entire time of the vow, if it was a year, two years, three years, six months, didn't make any difference. They were not to cut their hair. Long hair shows a submission to something. And it was to show their submission to God. It covered them. Now, God says a lot about hair over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He was to be totally submissive to God, which meant he was not to eat of anything of the vineyard or, or that which grows from the vine. He was not to touch any dead body. And being a permanent Nazarite, he was not to cut his hair all of his life. Now, those are three of the main things, but that's not all of it. He was to be separate unto God. And part of the problem with Samson is he was continually going down to the enemies of God, the Philistines. And that's where he found his companions, his Philistines. Now, we know the story of Samson, strongest man it appears that ever lived. This man had amazing strength. This man would kill, he could kill a thousand Philistines with simply the jawbone of an ass. Now imagine just fighting five different guys at one time. He fought a thousand. Now I'm sure they probably came at him one at a time, maybe sometimes two at a time. He didn't have a long spear, he had the jawbone of an ass. And he kept swinging it until he had killed a thousand. That's amazing. And another time when it appeared he was trapped in Hebron, he took the gates of a city. that We don't know how many pounds they weighed, but the gates of the city, and he picked them up and he carried them down the hill. This man had amazing strength. And yet there's some amazing things here about this guy. That's why I call him, when I think of the term biggest loser, I don't think of a bunch of fat people losing weight. Matter of fact, when I think of Samson, I think more of the man who got defeat out of the jaws of victory. This was a man that had everything going for him, and he ended up being the biggest loser in so many ways. As a matter of fact, I can only find, if you take a look at Samson, I can only find one spiritual statement that he made in his entire life. And it's in chapter 15, if you want to see it. In chapter 15, he has just fought these Philistines, killed a thousand with the jawbone of an ass. And he says in verse 16, And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, 
with the jaw of an ass, notice, have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place Ramath-Lehi. And he was sore athirst. And he called on the Lord. Now, wait a second. He's, God's just given him great strength. Spirit of God's come upon him. He's killed a thousand Philistines. And what was his comment? He says, I have slain a thousand men. And so God lets him realize how thirsty he is. And for the first time that you can find in his life, he gets humble. The very first time. He says here, this is the one spiritual statement that we find Samson making here in his life. He says, and he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. That's not what he said a verse ago. Verse ago, he was taking credit for it. But now he says, you've given me this. But why? Because he was thirsty. In other words, even when he makes a spiritual statement, God had to humble him first and put him in a place where he couldn't take care of himself. And so then notice what happens. He says, I die for thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. But God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again and he revived. Wherefore, he called the name of the place Anachore, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Finally, finally, he has at least showed some humbleness, humility. And he's called out to God and he gives God the glory for what had just taken place. And now he judges Israel for 20 years. Now, I'm sure he must have made some spiritual statements during that time. But after 20 years of judging Israel, he's back into the same old mess that he was into before. For it says, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. What's he doing in Gaza? That was the place of the Philistines then. What's he doing there? What's he doing going into a harlot? He should know better than that. And we know the story of Samson and Delilah. Now here was a man, think with me, who was the most famous of the judges and yet only made one spiritual statement that we see in his life. He was the most outwardly courageous of the judges and yet it appears that he only acted for himself. He had the most personal strength of the judges and yet he never got what he wanted. I mean, the first wife, who was a Philistine, he didn't get her. He didn't end up getting Delilah either. The things that he wanted, he kept losing. It is said of Samson, more than of any other, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And yet, he never delivered Israel from its oppressors. The Philistines were around before he came on the scene... They were around while he was on the scene, and they were around after he was dead. By the way, unlike many of the other judges, I mean, at least Gideon had 300 men going to battle with him, and he did have 32,000 men come out 
to set an array against the Midianites. Samson had nobody. Nobody fought with him. I think partly because nobody really trusted him. His victories were always by himself. People never came to his aid. Now, he had problems in his home life. Part of the problem in his home life was the fact that mom and dad, if you take a look at the cities where they raised him up, and you have to go back to chapter 14 for that, they raised him up on the border between the Philistines and Israel. I have a message I preach on that called Raising Your Kids on the Border. You raise your kids on the border, they're going to adopt the customs and the talk and the language of the people on the border. You're going to adopt their dress if you raise them up on the border. Well, anyway, as a Nazarite, he was to have no vineyards, no touching of the dead, no touching of his hair, He's supposed to be separated. But we see in chapter 16, we see bodily defilement going in unto the harlot. The Bible tells us of that great sin, what the sin of fornication will do in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through chapter 7 and verse 20. God wants us to be a holy people. We're supposed to be a holy people. See, this is sin that should not be named once among the brethren. I mean, today we live in a woke society that believes not only that same-sex marriage is okay, but they've got even terms like non-binary humans. That is stupidity. Now, I don't care. The, 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 the British may say that they have found 105 genders now. But if you got a dollar for each gender, you'd still only have two and a bunch of counterfeits. Because that's all there is. We may have a Supreme Court justice right now that doesn't even know what a woman is, and she is one. That's what's happened. And unfortunately, parents understand this. Your children are being impacted by them. You better be careful what they're watching on TV. You better be careful what websites they're on, who they're talking to in these websites. You better be careful or you'll lose them to that mess. As ridiculous as it is, you think, how could anybody fall for that? We've gone through at least 6,000 years of human history and everybody's always known better until now. And we call the people back then savages. We're civilized. And we're not civilized at all. We're nuts. We've just absolutely gone nuts. Then you notice Delilah in verse 4. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth. And by what means we may prevail against him that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah said, said to Samson, tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. Now, you would think somebody might smell a rat here. Don't just tell me the secret to how strong you are, but tell me what we can do to make it so that we can afflict you. And uh, Samson said, 
If they bind me with seven green wits that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Now, you'd think this next thing would give it all away. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green wits, which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait and abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the wits as a thread of tow is broken when it toucheth the fire. So his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me, told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou might... He's an idiot. I mean, brother, he is an idiot. He said to her, if they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Delilah there foretook the new ropes, bound him therewith and said unto him, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait abiding in the chamber, and he brake them from off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. I'm sure there was a little tear trickling down her eye. You don't really love me. Man, this is absolutely amazing. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head, with the web. She fastened it with the pin and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep and went away with the pin of the beam and with the web. And she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee? When thine heart is not with me, thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherewith thy great thing lies. Let me tell you something. Young people, Compromise and sin will make you stupid. Will you get that? Compromise will make you stupid. God talks about the deceitfulness of sin. What is she doing to deceive him? Sin is deceiving him. He's just been with the harlot, now he's with Delilah. Sin is deceiving him. He thinks that he's invincible. Well, notice in verse 17, and he told her all his heart and said unto her, there hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that she had told her, that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, come up this once. For he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees and she called for a man. And he caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him. And a strength went from him. And she said, the Philistines be upon him, thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself and wish not. That's the thing. Don't you think, who's got long hair here? Who's, who's known for long hair here? I'm not talking about the guys. We have, we have a few ladies that have really long hair. Don't you think if they got up in the morning and 
They didn't have any of that hair on their head that they know something wasn't right. Don't you think they'd have a clue? His hair has been growing since he was in the womb. He's a grown man. His hair's never been cut. I don't know how long it would have been. But just the weight alone, you know, you know hey, there's a breeze up here that wasn't there before. <laughs> you know, I don't think that he thought when he told her that even if he lost his hair, God didn't say if you lose your hair, you'll be like other men. You don't find any statement like that in the scripture. But there comes a time, young people, young adults, older adults, when God says, I've had enough of it. That's it. I've had enough. I think God is saying that to America today. I've had enough. I think he's saying it to churches in America today. I've had enough. I wonder, what, how could all this stuff be happening? Surely... At least people who had the book would know better. No, they don't. So what do they do? It says in verse 21, the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow. See, that was the last mark of his separation. So now, Why do you call him the biggest loser? I mean, here is big, tough Samson. Nobody can stop me. It seems that his continuous thought was, that won't hurt me. He was kind of like the people in Jeremiah's day. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I shall visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. In all of this, With his great strength and all of that, Samson ended up being the biggest loser when he should have lived in victory. You say, what did he lose, preacher? Let me give you several things. I'll do them quick. Number one, he lost his sensitivity to sin. You look at verse one. Then when Samson to Gaza saw there a harlot, went in unto her. Three verses later, he's picked another Philistine gal. He's got Delilah. He was insensitive to sin. You know, it's amazing how many young people today listen to the world's filthy rock music. When I was a rock and roll disc jockey back in the 60s, it was filthy then. But that music back then seems innocent compared to what they are putting over the radio today. The cursing, the vulgarity, the rebellion, the drug addiction, all of that. It's filth. And yet we've got people that listen to it. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can count on it. Nobody's going to beat God. Nobody's going to beat God. You say, I'll be different. No, you won't be different. You'll be like everybody else. He lost his sensitivity to sin. Number two, he lost his final mark of separation. Now, he had already touched a dead body when he took honey out of the carcass of the lion. He'd already been in the vineyard. That's where the lion met him when he shouldn't have been in the vineyard. So here was his final mark of separation. And when he loses that, he defiled each mark of separation. The only thing about him that let people know he was separated to God. 
and say what you want to about separation. That was one thing everybody could see. Ah, he's not a Nazarite. His hair's cut. I wonder, when people see you, do they think, I bet they're Christian. I'm sorry. I see people dress certain ways when you go to Walmart or go to some store or flea market, and you think, I wonder what church they go to. Of course, my second thought is, why aren't they in our church? I don't understand what's wrong with them. You'd think they'd want to be here. But he lost his final mark of separation. The Bible says, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations. Let me just say, the young people that you saw up here singing this last week, they have the same standards mom and dad have. You saw a couple bent on raising kids to worship and love God the same way that they did. My goal in raising my kids, I believe my God, my God and this Bible should be just the same for my children that it's been for me. But that doesn't happen by accident. And as Brother Kendrick gave his testimony several times, With his kids, that didn't happen by accident. That was on purpose. Now, I know you can raise them upright and do everything right. They still can make a decision to go astray. Doesn't guarantee, but I want to give my kids the best shot to be right. Best shot at adults at being right. Number three, he lost his touch with God. In chapter 15 and verse 14, when it came to the Lord last time, when it says, and he was... I saw a thirst and called on the Lord. That's the last time you see it until it comes to die. Last time you see it. Lost his touch with God. As a matter of fact, chapter 16 and verse 20, the scripture says this, uh, that the Lord was departed. This is at the end of the verse. The Lord was departed from him. That does not mean he lost his salvation, but God was not there in power in his life anymore. As a matter of fact, if you want to see what's God's response in all this, I think God gives us a spiritual clue in Proverbs chapter 1. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. Notice beginning, pardon me, in verse 23, or verse 22. He says, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge? Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I've stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. Now this is God speaking here. He says next, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge 
and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. That's Samson. That's what happened to Samson. So what about when his eyes are gouged out? He's never going to see again. And he's grinding like a blind donkey at the mills of the enemies of God. What's God doing? Mocking. Mocking. I mean, God had given him his word. Not only did he lose his touch with God, but he lost his strength. No longer is he that hunk of a man who is so strong. I can think of men who have had power with God and power, the power of God upon them, and today they're nothing because sin has taken its toll. Not only that, he lost his sight, his eyes were put out, and buddy, once that happened, he's not getting them back anytime. God doesn't pop two new eyes into his head. He's going to be blind. But you see, that physical blindness that he's experiencing in the mill only is really a picture for us of the spiritual blindness that he has had all of his life. He had been blind. And there are young people brought up in churches like this all over America. And they are totally blind to what they have in a Bible preaching church. He'd already violated his covenant with God in several areas, but he didn't break them all at once. It was one at a time that he did it. It's kind of like back in 1 Samuel chapter 4. You'll remember when Hophni and Phinehas brought the ark of God out into the battle before the Philistines. And not only did Hophni and Phinehas get killed, but the ark of God was taken. And you remember when one of the wives was giving birth... And she had a baby boy. She had gotten word that the ark of God had been taken. And she named the boy Ichabod. The name meant the glory had departed. But the reality is the glory had departed long ago. This was just the final straw. He said, preacher, this, this isn't very pleasant. Well, hey... Study the words of Ezekiel. Study the words of Jeremiah. Study the words of Isaiah. Study the words of the prophets of God. No! Man, it wasn't fun. It wasn't nice. It wasn't, it wasn't pleasant to hear. But it was the truth. We get the blessings when we obey God. Not only that, he lost his liberty in verse 21. It bound him in fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. There's liberty in Christ. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. But if you forsake the truth, there's no freedom. That's not freedom. There was an article in one of the news, big news medias just about a month ago now. It talked about the effect on the young adults and the college-age young people of now free access to marijuana. Duh, is there anybody who didn't see this coming about how it would affect their ability to even think and make decisions? 
You can't put that stuff in your, in your body without it eating away at your brain. But we're free. We look at Samson in the mill, no eyes, no freedom, no joys, no family, no happiness, no walk with God. Oh, he's free from God's rules. At least he doesn't have to do what God told him to do. He's free. And it's amazing how many people brought up in Christian homes think that real freedom is being able to do what you want. Bible says, the psalmist said, I will walk in liberty because I keep thy precepts. Real liberty is in obeying God. Not only that, I said he's the biggest loser. Lost his sensitivity, his final mark of separation. Lost his touch with God, lost his strength, lost his sight, lost his liberty. Lost his usefulness to God. He's not judging Israel anymore. Now he's in the devil's grindhouse. If you play in the devil's field, prepare to grind in his mill. Go ahead. You want the cigarettes? You want the booze? I got news for you. As first generation Christians, we got saved out of that mess. And it's amazing how many young people and young adults out of our Baptist churches are running to it. Man, this is tragic. I thought we had smarter kids than this. He's a big man. Well, he doesn't look so big anymore. He may be just as tall as he's ever been, but I'm sorry. He doesn't strike any fear into the hearts of the Philistines at this time. I mean, he's a big, handsome man. Well, not anymore. I mean, he's got two burnout holes where eyeballs used to be. Grotesque to look at. Useless. Tough. Well, he had to be strong, I guess, to grind every day at the mill. But he's lost his sensitivity. He's lost his final mark of separation. He lost touch with God, lost his strength, lost his sight, lost his liberty, lost his usefulness to God. And he lost his testimony. In verses 23 through 25, we see in verse 23, Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. You see, his life now does not lead people to fear God and turn to him. Now his testimony is they mock him, they mock his God, and they praise their false idol. That's what Samson has done. But he's free. He's free. Lost his testimony. I can remember, you you go back into the 1980s. Jimmy Swaggart was at his height, I guess, on TV. And the one thing, even though he preached some really crazy stuff and a lot of false doctrine, he was the one preacher on TV who would preach against sin. He did that. And I remember going to my barber one day there in Manchester, Tennessee, and I walked in and the unbelieving barber sitting, sitting there behind the, or standing behind the chair said to me, say, hey, preacher. Did you hear about your friend Jimmy Swaggart? I said, man, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And, of course, that's when the news came out. He had been caught with a prostitute. And I said, I don't believe that. I said, I'm not going to believe that unless I hear it come out of his own mouth. 
And then that night, I saw on the TV, it came out of his own mouth. You know, there were a lot of unbelievers mocking the God of the Bible because of that. You lose your testimony. I got news for you, young people. You get off into the world, and when your life comes crashing down, those friends you got in the world, get out within the world dancing and smoking and doing their rock music and all that kind of stuff, they're not going to be there to bail you out. They're going to be looking, oh, yeah, you Christian young people came from a good Christian home. Yeah, right. Look at you. That's the way they are, man. You get upset because somebody said something to you at church and hurt your feelings. You're going to rob someplace else. Well, I got news for you. People here will be with you when you're hurting here. But you go off there, and man, they'll drop you like a hot potato. And then finally, he lost his life. In verse 28. Now, some people think that here's where Samson got spiritual. But they're not reading it very close if they think that. Because as they bring Samson out, it says, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this one, O God, that I may finally do your will. Is that what he says? No. His prayer is this. Avenge me of my two eyes. Well, Samson, you wouldn't have lost them if you'd have been where you were supposed to be. God, give me strength, not so I can glorify you, but do it because I need vengeance for my two eyes. He died a failure. He may have killed more Philistines when God gave him the strength he needed, but that was a smite against them. There's no glory for Samson in this final picture because he's still all about himself. I tell you what, life ought to be about living for Jesus. This man had everything going for him. But he ended up the biggest loser because he just couldn't stand living by God's rules. I would like us to raise up young people who are smart enough to know that God's way is always the right way. Still is. Not come around, because this is the way it'd be for some, I know it would, that when the next preacher comes along, comes into Madison Baptist Church, well, you know, Pastor Allison, he's pretty hard on a lot of things. Just be a little kinder. Just a little kinder, be a little nicer. And I think I'm pretty kind to people. Now, when I preach, here's one of the problems today. Preachers will not make sin exceedingly sinful. We want to mollycoddle the sin. I don't even know what that means, but it sounded like it fit right there, Brother Mike. I, I think it, I don't know if that's a southern expression, and I didn't pick that up till I got south or if I heard it when I was up north. And you southerners, did you ever hear that as a kid? Okay, so I'll blame it on you guys. But I try to make sin sound exceedingly sinful because it is. If we'd just be smart enough to get it and not be like the biggest loser of all. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We've heard some tremendous preaching this week.
And it's gotten us on the move, I believe, toward revival. Until we look at sin like you look at sin and look at obedience to you like you look at obedience to you, we're not going to have it. So, Lord, please deal with our hearts. Those areas that we squirm about, get upset about, that we don't, don't like to hear about, and we don't want to have to feel guilty because we do some of those things. But we are guilty. Lord, may we get right with you and decide we're going to walk according to your word and your ways. That we not be like Samson, just big losers. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.